0: Side with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from a basement in the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother?
1: Hey, man. How's it going?
0: Doing well. Glad to have the league back. Indeed, indeed. Enjoyed uh, the first weekend of, of viewing.
1: I, I'm excited for this podcast. Uh, there's much to talk about. And also, I've made some observations over over the weekend that I need, like that are they're brimming, they're 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 stirred up in me now, and I, I need to get feedback from the people. So I can't wait for this podcast to get out there, so I can actually get some feedback on on a major issue, Andrew. This is a huge issue in football, and I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna pick your brain. I've already teed you up a little bit for this one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm I'm I've gone out to watch Liverpool versus Leeds. At the weekend, and I, I've gone to a regular watering hole for myself, and it's uh, socially distanced. It's it's outdoors, uh, and it was a dry a dry day, so we we had the TV, and um, Liverpool supporters are beginning to roll into the in, in into this venue, shall I put it that way? And and a guy comes in, Andrew, and he is head to toe in the new Liverpool tracksuit, the sideline tracksuit that you may see a player or Jurgen Klopp wearing. And he's even got Nike shoes to match. So I'm like, huh. He's gone full tracksuit for this one, right? Now he's come in with a friend of mine, and I may have met this guy before, but I can't remember his name. But I'm I'm beginning to squirm a little bit because I'm dying to say something. And then I see him about five minutes before kickoff, he unzips his his top to reveal a brand new Liverpool Nike home kit and now I'm, I'm literally i've got my fist in my mouth you got it just don't say anything jj keep your mouth shut don't be embarrassing someone for your stupid joke because all i want to do andrew is shout across at him and go listen son you're coming on for 15 minutes at the end all right 15 minutes lots of work let's do it okay you know like give him a you pep wanted puck. to
0: just scream full kit w at him
1: oh so badly but but, but my friend was there so I just kept quiet. I I kept quiet. And my question to you, is that too much to have the brand new kit, the brand new tracksuit top, the brand new everything for the game? Like, is that going too far with your enthusiasm?
0: Ah, what a question.
1: We we all know the Twitter, the full kit W Twitter. We all know it.
0: I believe full kit W is every bit a W. Um, But I, so was he doing it? Was he doing it ironically or did this guy, was this guy so serious that he needed to dress this way? Right. But, but to go the full hog, I mean, when
1: you're getting dressed in the morning, like if, if, if I woke up in the morning and as I'm walking out the door, I looked at myself, and I'm like, huh? I appear to be wearing a full police officer's uniform. <laughs> like I'd notice.
0: Right. Like I if mean, if it's not on... like before, before a big Eagles game, I'll throw on some pads and a helmet. <laughs> It just seemed like a lot. And the, the, the coup de grace was
1: unzipping the top to reveal the brand new Liverpool jersey. Like if he'd taken off the top and it was last year's new balance, there's a dividing line.
0: I, I need uh, people. So I need I'm, to, fi- I'm fine with it being the brand new kit. I'm totally fine with that. Was he wearing sh- the shorts too? Was, it act- was he actually a no, kit the kit or-
1: No, he had the tracksuit bottoms on. All right he had the uh, the sideline bottoms on and he had, but he
0: even had nike uh sneakers on as well. well that's not weird. I'd say 50% of the countries wearing nike nike sneakers. With nike track with a full nike tracksuit and a nike jersey underneath. Oh, I don't know. So, yeah. He's toeing the line, but it's not to me it it's okay. It's not full kit w because he wasn't wearing the shorts and the, the shorts socks or high sock, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh I would you shout guys. full kit w at someone if you saw them i couldn't piece? i couldn't do it i would text you immediately i would get a picture and i would text it to you right away well you want it, to it's get the a- only it's the only sport where this happens and like some of that is the limitations of the uniform like i said you're not wearing a helmet and pads to watch a football game um but like you never see anybody supporting a baseball team wearing baseball pants and stir like <laughs> you don't you never see it. you don't see anybody it's rare at a basketball game to see somebody wearing like a full like just a tank top jersey and, Not the, and the team band. shorts no, right it's, never. It's, soccer it's this is the only sport where you i feel like you get it semi-routinely and i love it it's one of my favorite things about the sport i wish everyone did it
1: but like does anyone think putting on my liverpool tracksuit bottoms and my matching liverpool jersey and my matching tracksuit top nothing weird
0: no, no no. They think they think how like he looked in the mirror and was like, All right, here I'd, we go. I'd laugh if he goes, This is how I live my life and he took
1: us to his apartment and there's like a masseuse with a masseuse's table getting him ready to go for the game. And then the bell rings in his kitchen like it does and all right, let's go, boys. Right. And he claps and he jogs out every day. Right
0: every you day and I, you and i just sitting here on our high horses like we're better than everyone like andrew, we we know the right way to support your team
1: andrew so many people have turned off right now so let's uh andrew set the table for this podcast Let's please.
0: oh my god well it was, obviously it was opening weekend of the premier league season so that will be uh that will be the bulk of the show also you you sent me the mailbag uh beforehand and I, juicy. I really love it i think it's it's a great mailbag people have really capitalized off of the, uh, the momentum built from the EPL part two mailbag special. Um, also some MLS in there that, uh, we really need to get to, um, there's a few clubs in particular that I wanted to mention, but let's, let's just not even, let's not even dilly dally anymore. Let's go right to the Premier League and let's start JJ with the club that that full kit W was supporting Liverpool and Leeds in what I guess what is already a contender for match of the season after a pretty enthralling 4-3 in uh, Leeds' return to the league and Liverpool's first day as reigning champions in 30 years. I mean, if if the
1: Premier League were going to write a script for this one, if, if someone submitted the script, they'd be like, this is ridiculous. This is too much. It's a stupid idea. 4-3 on the opening day with the newly promoted side. We're not having it. We're not doing it. But um, it was absolutely fascinating. It was an enthralling game. You soon got over the fact that there was no crowd there, although halfway through you lamented the fact that, can you imagine the away end with Leeds fans just exploding as away ends do at, at like the, at the third, at the second, at the equalizer and the second goal and the third goal? It was a special, special game. And, um, you know, it, it's a game that will have, even in defeat, reassured Leeds United that they are not out of their depth here. It will have put question marks in Liverpool's fans' minds, but it will also have proven that that attack that Liverpool have can be scintill- scintillating too. It was, it was a whole mess of, of, of things and questions coming out of this one.
0: It's so true. The thing you say about Leeds is interesting to me because, you know, it's tough. Like right now, we don't we, we think that Leeds will be a good side. And we think, you know, neither of us had them as one of the teams getting relegated this season. But we don't know that yet. They're a team that's just been newly promoted, and we don't exactly know how the season is going to go for them. So right now, their objective, regardless of what we may predict, their objective this year is to stay up. So when that is your primary goal and you're in a game against Liverpool with a real chance to steal points against the side that you are not supposed to steal points against, it's hard it's hard to classify a, what winds up being a loss as a moral victory. Like those points could be vital at the end of the season, and even though it's Liverpool, they're going to look at that game and say we should have gotten a point out of that. Sure, um, but man, it felt like a moral victory as much as as much as a loss for a team battling to stay up could possibly have. It felt it really felt like one. Well, I mean, just look at some
1: of the statistics. I was reading James Pierce's piece on it. Um, at times, the hosts looked genuinely rattled by the intensity. Of Marcelo Bielsa's dynamic side, who enjoyed more possession, 52 to 48, okay, and attempted more passes, 460 to Liverpool's 423. I mean, they weren't just hanging in there and and, and catching Liverpool on the break. They were taking the game to Liverpool. Um, And it was interesting because some of Liverpool's play, I thought, was as good as I've seen. Over the past few months, including the uh, you know at times in the restart, I thought the front three linked really well together. Mane, Mane, and Salah had had outstanding interchanges, and they won the ball back high up the field. I saw Bobby Firmino do it several times, but Liverpool's midfield was way off it compared to what it usually is. And in in fact, it was Calvin Phillips who played some of the more prescient passes of the game from midfield. What about Jack Harrison's goal? He looks he
0: looks so prepared to play at this level.
1: What well, and and that was a question i had going into this. You know, we've seen him in MLS, technically brilliant. We've seen him in the championship working well in a, in a, you know, a, a really a really good Leeds team, but i mean until you until you do it in the Premier League, what a way to do it. That first touch, Andrew, and to skip by Gomez the way he did. That was a brilliant goal because that was not an easy ball to control from Phillips. As good as good as the ball was,
0: right? No, it it really was, and I think, you know, I think the weird thing about this game from Liverpool's perspective is that you just kind of you just kind of saw some things from them that you're not really accustomed to seeing. Like the was it Leeds' second goal? Virgil uh, van Dijk. It was yeah, um, um, where he sort of I don't know. It's just kind of an awkward clearance attempt, and I'm not saying it's an it's easy for anybody, but you're just kind of used to him being able to make difficult things look easy. Uh, I know it was kind of over his shoulder. It was a long ball, tough to judge, but you know, you're just, you're just used to seeing him do better. Yeah. Um,
1: Jamie Carraher described, um, it was, uh, it was the Earl of Yorkshire, Lord Patrick Bamford that scored. Um, and, uh, in, in, in the wake of that Carraher described the defending as arrogant. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean it's it's meaning what, that Liverpool just were not ready to take this team meaning, as seriously
1: as they probably should have. Meaning that Van Dyke should have been more uh how shall we say, less trying to be less clever in what I don't know what he was trying to do. I thought it was an easy enough one to deal with for, for a player like him. And he just he just messed it up. And I, I think Carher almost suggests that he was trying to be clever and that he should have put his foot through it in some way and just, you know, been more industrial. In his clearance, but uh, I mean, look, Leeds also took what was it? They had three three shots on target, three goals, which is right, right, which is brilliant, um, but
0: also unsustainable.
1: Unsustainable. Also, to be fair to Leeds, um, the the what a debut for what a baptism of fire for Koch, the defender for Leeds the, the, who they have bought from Freiburg, like that really wasn't a penalty by the letter of the law, and we've got VAR. I mean, the ball hops up off his knee and then hits his arm. I mean, that's an easy one for VAR to get right. But then equally, Liverpool, I think, could have scored more. Um, it was just a brilliant game. How good was Mohamed Salah?
0: He was amazing. And I don't usually, you know, guys who score on penalties, like I don't usually think much of them. You know, even though they're saved at a decent rate, I always expect guys to score. But I will say the first penalty that he took, can a penalty be taken with more confidence than that? Emphatic, absolutely emphatic. Um, I have a blistering
1: stat that I, I can't wait to, to tell you. This is from Daniel story who was writing on football, three, six, five, Andrew, since he joined Liverpool in June, 2017, Salah now has 11 more goals than any other player. He's yeah. Just been so consistently good.
0: Um, he really has. And it's, it goes back to that whole thing that we always talk about is to like, sometimes he's taken for granted. Um, because he's been able to do it so consistently. Uh, So when he screws up, you're almost surprised by it. But I saw a stat as well, JJ, about him. Mo Salah has 0.64 goals per game in the Premier League. A few players with lower uh, per game averages, Alan Shearer, Ian Wright, Robin Van Persie, Jamie Vardy, Michael Owen, Rooney, Drogba. Only Kane, Henri, and Aguero at 0.68 have a higher average. I mean, it's unbelievable. And uh, the volley was,
1: was stunning too. And it was, I won't say I won't say it was nonchalant. It kind of was, though. He just he just teed it up and smashed it into the top corner.
0: Right. It's it's why you have to forgive him. I think when he does the things that drive Liverpool fans crazy, sometimes you know he takes an ill advised shot or something. It's why you almost have to forgive him for those moments because he's capable. Because he you know he he shows you at other moments that he's capable of scoring those goals. Yeah. Uh, So you know, for every few of those that he kind of screws up, he is going to get you one that's incredible. Uh, So yeah, he was. He was excellent. I thought the penalty at the end was legit. It was, the whole culmination of that game was just so Liverpool of, of these past couple seasons where you just felt like it was going to happen. And in the end, you know, th- there's nothing to argue about it. it. To me, it wasn't debatable and Leeds it's, didn't argue it. No. I and mean, when it was stupid though. He just dangles the foot
1: out there, hoping to get a flick on the, like, what are you doing in the penalty box? You as well do nothing rather than do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was a crushing moment for Leeds because they could see the finish line, but. This is what this is what Liverpool do. I imagine the way that you, as a Liverpool fan, always felt about Fergie time, and you know, and those those Manchester United right. clubs that always seemed to. Like Clive Tildesley said, can Manchester United score? They always score. That is how a, gen- a generation is now growing up, believing that that's Liverpool's way of conducting business in the league.
1: Yeah, and, and you look at the games last year against Wolves, you look at the game and get away at Aston Villa, that's absolutely true. But I, I do think just as it was with Fergie, as it is with Klopp. Fergie's teams, you never saw Fergie, or you rarely saw Fergie. He, he did do it on one occasion famously, but you rarely saw Fergie you know, send his centre half up and and panic and start lumping the ball into the box. Same with Klopp, play the same way, stay true to your values, pass the football, and um and look, there were cracks. There was no question; there was cracks shown for Liverpool. I mean, how nobody tracked clicks uh, run into the box for his his special goal too. What a goal that was too. I mean, Leeds had two fantastic goals in that game. Um,
0: yeah. But I but guess I, with, without making any like grand proclamations off of one game, I suppose it was kind of the perfect day for Liverpool in that you got the win, you got the three points, um, and at the same time, they learned some valuable lessons. I think from the first game that okay, like immediately they're reminded we can't take anybody for granted. Right. Uh, and so and, you know, it's it's always good when you can learn lessons while also winning at the same time. But I
1: th- but I think other teams will have learned some lessons too from what Leeds tried to do. There was one moment in the second half before we move on from the game, and it was it was just so indicative of the homework that Leeds had done. Look, if your fullbacks are going to push up high. You know, there is going to be gaps in behind the two midfielders have a have a cent, or the central midfielders and the midfielder on that side have a lot to do in terms of protecting Liverpool and protecting those centre backs. There was one offside in the second half, and it was narrow enough, but when the ball was played, it was a di- one of those raking diagonal balls that Leeds were playing and, and getting some success from Andrew. There was three Leeds players between the fullback and the centre back in that gap, looking to run in behind are looking looking to cause trouble for Liverpool. And um it, it just goes show Bielsa, imagine the folder Bielsa has on Liverpool. You know, his teams come in
0: so go into these games so well prepared. Boy, watching him manage is is an experience in itself. Indeed. He just looks I mean he looks the part of just yeah. like kind of the aging, somewhat disheveled but like sitting on a,
1: sitting on a blue bucket. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody um you're a Sopranos fan, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, there's that one scene. It's in season five. And it's it's really uncomfortable, but really funny where uh, Johnny Sack, the head of the New York mob, is sitting on a toilet that is, uh, you know, one of those toilets that we all feel, me and you would never go into, that has no door. Right, right. So, sitting right. with his pants down, smoking a cigarette on the toilet, talking to Tony, who's at the urinal, you know. And um, there's uh, someone... Uh, I can't remember who it was. It might have been the the, the men with the, the sharply dressed men who wear uh, blazers. Uh, I think it was them, to give them their credit. And they said serious Johnny Sack vibes, as, and and they put the two pictures, and it's Bielsa squatting on the blue bucket, talking up to, to one of his assistants. <laughs> very, very good.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's see, JJ. Let's move on now. Chelsea and Brighton, uh, which was a, an interesting game in its own right. 3-1, it goes to Chelsea. Um, I don't know what you thought. I thought that was... And look, Chelsea did play better in the second half, but I thought it was kind of a flattering scoreline, Very. Flat. how well I thought. I mean, Brighton. There was like it felt like it was a forty-minute stretch from kind of the middle of the first half through the middle of the second half where Brighton were really, really good.
1: I mean, it, let's give Brighton their props first because they don't get much coverage on this podcast. Let's be honest. Um, I thought Lamptey was unbelievable for them. Mm-hmm. I thought he was outstanding. I thought actually before he went off, Adam Lallana was really good too, and I. I my heart sank for him. Absolutely sank. We saw that emotional video um, talking about Liverpool's championship, Jordan Henderson, and uh, almost like an exit interview when he left the club in the summer. And he was so emotional about the strain of injuries. And now it happens within the first half of his return to the South Coast. Devastated for him. Mm-hmm. Andrew chelsea gave up a lot of chances lewis dunk had one of the misses of the season at the far post um chelsea weren't very good that's the truth of it it's going to take time for this this thing to gel it wasn't a full chelsea side either and they were missing their best player christian pulisic that's a fact um i thought werner's pace at time at time's on the break which is mainly what chelsea did was play on the break uh was good werner looked good kai havertz didn't do very much but I don't know what you expect so early on. And there was actually a funny moment where uh, Sully March just just zipped by him with the ball. And I thought, huh, I wonder how many times we'll see that this season. Probably not many. And uh, Reese James's goal was great. Again, it's it's a win for Chelsea. Um, and, and and also, it's probably a good win in a way that, you know, people will start going, oh, you know, this thing isn't, this is going to take some time. Before I've already seen a few headlines where uh, Chelsea don't look quite the finished article. Frank Lampard. No, well, they're would, not. Of course they're not. But Frank Lampert would be delighted to hear that. It's much it's a much better headline uh, to have won and still have question marks than for the constant chatter to be about the two hundred million summer.
0: Yeah, I, I thought Timo Werner's start was good uh in that, you know, he drew that penalty fairly early on in the match off of you know just unfortunate like Brighton, you know, we don't we don't necessarily associate that kind of sloppiness with them, but a sloppy pass in a dangerous part of the field, and Chelsea just pounced on it immediately. It clear, I thought it was a clear penalty and, and a good job by Werner to draw it. Um, you know, I, I thought also Ross Barkley came on and played well, and I think that was important for him. Um, I mean, got, I mean that's well. going to
1: be his role. If right. Everyone's, if everyone's fit.
0: Yeah. Um, so, but like you said, I thought the story of the game was Lamptey who came from Chelsea and I was reading this morning. I don't know how much of this is ironclad, but that Chelsea fans are now like screaming for him to be brought back to Chelsea, but there is no buyback clause, uh, apparently in his contract. So, um, if they I, want him back they're, I'm they I'm delighted have to spend a lot of money.
1: I'm delighted because and they're not the only big club that do it but they're the main culprit out there. Like the buying up of players and then just farming them out. Give these guys a chance. Let them go. He's gone now. They sh- he should never go back to Stamford
0: Bridge. Yeah. Never. It's so it's so funny and he's not on loan. Um but No, he's not, but I'm saying right. what I'm saying. But is like, like every year when you see the list of players out on loan from different clubs it's always like, you know, Eight, seven, four, three, 32, six, five. Like Chelsea just always just dwarfs everybody else's in the league. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It's so true. Um, But yeah, no, once
1: if he's not going back to Chelsea, nor should he. I'm, uh, what I'm, I'm I, I, delighted for him doing so yeah. well at a, at a club.
0: Such a young player. So he he right out of the, I think opening weekend, like you start to identify some new young talent that you're going to keep an eye on. I think right away he kind of identified himself as as a guy that people are going to want to keep an eye on this season. You're not going to
1: apologize for your take on Brighton uh, in the previews.
0: Well, this is one game which they lost. Let's see if they wind up ultimately with like 43 points, you know, 13th, 14th in the table. I'll feel I'll have felt justified. Okay. Let's just wait and see. All right. Um, but I also wanted to mention one other thing about Chelsea. Like I said, I know they got the 3-1 win. I don't want to be too negative here. But Kepa, for a goalkeeper coming off such a poor season on such a huge price tag, you know, the goal that he conceded, I think it's fair to ask questions about, especially you see the angle from behind the goal. And every time I look at it, I keep thinking, does that go right under his hand?
1: Yeah. Uh, what's What's interesting to me, I, th- I thought t- Tim Howard did a good job analyzing it because... Although yesterday on the broadcast Tim Howard said, you know, I I I'm not one of those people that's going to kill goalkeepers. That's going to be your job. Yeah. Tim, you better get used to it. But he his analysis of the of the Kepa a mistake. So he didn't quite call it a mistake. He just said that's a shot that you need to save. And and, and that's exactly the right thing. He didn't throw it in the net. It didn't go through his hands. It was a, it was a decent shot that did that that thing that keepers hit it, it skips up right before him, um, but he's got to do better and he doesn't he doesn't save shots. Right. I mean we're we're getting to the point where, you know i th- I would be shocked if they don't have someone in before the end of this window.
0: Boy, it's just... They're working hard. They're working hard. You just look at that amount of money that they laid out for a goalkeeper and to punt on it this quickly, that's just an incredible loss. He doesn't look good, take. Andrew. No, he doesn't. And he conceded 19 goals from outside the box last season. So this is clearly a problem for him. And then straight away, but first did game. Did you see in the first half as well, that cross that came in and uh, he
1: goes to punch it. He, he doesn't get anything on it. Nothing. And then he waves because it goes, you know, it goes out for a goal kick or a corner and he just waves at the referee. I didn't touch it.
0: You know, I'm like, dude, you need Man. to be touching those. You need, he, he, he's bad. He's just, I, just bad. I know. I just wonder if Chelsea will sort of look at like the De Gea model. Remember when Devin De Gea came to Manchester United, he was, he was poor um, yeah, and but, it took some time. But and I wonder was, if Chelsea will almost view that as, as a roadmap. I I
1: hear what you're saying, Andrew. But wasn't he just poor coming for crosses in the physicality of the league?
0: Wasn't it more that that he he dropped a lot of things, as or a, as opposed to shot stop? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I wanted. We've talked about Klopp. We've talked about Lampard. Did you did you see this back and forth between the two of them? It's not. It's. Uh,
1: this yeah, is, I saw. I saw it. I, I I saw what Klopp said, and I thought, no, you've to be, you've to got Jurgen.
0: This is the this is the de-nozzle debate of the century. <laughs> so like, just to catch people up uh, who maybe haven't seen this. So I'm reading here from ESPN FC. Klopp said on Thursday that Manchester City and Chelsea were more immune to the financial effects of the coronavirus pandemic due to being, quote, owned by countries, owned by oligarchs. Fair. Sure. And added that Liverpool are, quote, a different kind of club from them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then Lampard, I was less annoyed with it, Klopp's comments. I found it more slightly amusing, I would say um lampard said when you talk about the owners of clubs in the premier league i do not think it matters what line of business they come from we are talking about some very wealthy owners uh i actually think and and you're you're right i heard you say fair there about what klopp said because it's true but it doesn't need to be but i think but i think lampard hits on the point here jj because look we're talking about chelsea liverpool and manchester city we're talking about obscene wealth all right like, if you want to say there's different deg- different degrees of obscene wealth, fine. But it's all in the c- in the category of obscene wealth. So everyone just shut up. Like this is just one of those arguments that nobody wants to hear. This is like if you and I, if we were eavesdropping on like an investment banker at a bar in the financial district of Manhattan. And he's talking to his buddy and he's just like, you know, it's not right. The guys over at JP Morgan, they, they can afford three yachts. Meanwhile, over here at Goldman Sachs, I can only afford one yacht in a private plane. Like, just shut up. Oh, yeah. I I,
1: I, I think I think the problem was that um, Klopp got sucked into it by a very direct question. And I actually think he was speaking to the Liverpool fan base as much he was as he was speaking to anyone else. Because just like that email we had on the show two weeks ago, I mean, some Liverpool fans are, you know, they, they want Genie Wijnaldum out as quick as possible and Thiago Alicantara in now, and it, you know, it's it's kind of bratish behaviour. Um, but but Klopp got sucked into it. You are right, almost in everything. Imagine you're at uh, Carlisle United or Scunthorpe, and you and you read this, you're like,
0: ugh. But like, like I was even looking. So uh, after this argument, I was kind of looking at different cl- EPL sides uh, wages for like annually. And like, I was looking at poor Bournemouth who were relegated last year and they were paying the the smallest wage bill of any club at, at 12 million. And it's like, you're, they're in the same league as, you know, and Liverpool can, can cry poverty against city and, and Chelsea, but Liverpool are still paying obscene amounts of money compared to, you know, <laughs> other clubs within their own leagues. So of
1: it's, course. It's like, of course. It's like the, the bottom line is there, there is no, you can't compare the ownership models of, we'll say, a a Chelsea and a City and a Liverpool. But, but, But that's in the context of these super clubs, right? You know, the top six, like I keep saying, the top six clubs negotiated a bigger chunk of the TV deal for themselves. This is obscene wealth. So it's, it's, a, it's a little unseemly to be having this argument straight away and, and if yeah, I was top I, unseemly is the right word and, yeah. and if I was, if I was top, I wouldn't have got involved in it all right I just wouldn't have got involved in it because then we go down the the rabbit hole of fans who, who suddenly dig up these graphs of net spend and oh I, I can't handle it although later on we will have a little financial
0: segment Oh fun. Fun, fun, fun. Um, while we're talking about transfers and things like that, just a, a kind of a random question for you from this past weekend. Which new signing uh, do you think made the best first impression? Um, I,
1: I think probably because it was such a big game. Allen, for me, Allen or Hamas Rodriguez, I mean, were just, I, they just looked like straight away. These are good pieces of business you have done well straight away. So those were the ones that stood out to me. I'm sure there's something under the surface I'm, I'm missing.
0: Uh, well, we can talk while you mentioned those two. We'll talk a little bit about that game. If you want um, Everton getting off. Do you want, uh, well, I'm profe- I'm a professional JJ. We're not going to just ignore the game. <laughs> all right. I can, I can be a professional and, and talk about a game. that Tottenham lost Lord knows I'm kind of getting used to doing it, uh, <laughs> but you're right though. Hamas created five chances. Um, a little trivia question for you. He's the first player to create that many chances in his EPL debut since this Christian Erickson. No, Alexis Sanchez with Arsenal. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, in 2014. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought those two in particular, you know, their roles are, are very different, but, and, and DeCore as well, we should mention who that signing hadn't become official, uh, the last time that we had spoken, but it since has, and we a have a piece of business, what, like seriously, you know, so, and I know this is not the first year where we've, where we've talked about Everton and we've said, oh, great moves with this and that. And, and those are things that haven't panned out. Um, and so, you know, this is one game, but so far they feel it feels like these are all going to be great moves. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they've bought the finished
1: product in both uh, Allen and Hamas Rodriguez and you know Allen, someone who can win the ball who can screen the back four screen the fullbacks going forward pass the ball pass through the lines like he's that kind of midfielder they've been looking for for quite some time now and Hamas rodriguez in terms of being like a creative player a number 10 a, an attacking midfielder is just such an upgrade on everything they've signed everything they've signed in the past decade
0: yeah and you know it's funny because and it's interesting to see what this will do for other players like you know uh, we see the ball being played in now for Calvert-Lewin, who you know converts uh, on a set piece. Um uh, we headers and, Super like, header. and all the chances that were created for Richarlison in this game, who, you know, it, it's funny because we were talking about Mo Salah before. And I feel like Richarlison is almost the poor man's Mo Salah um, in that, like. Scores a lot of brilliant goals. He's a great player. No one denies that. But he also does some of the things that you're like, God, just do that differently. Like Everton, they they had a goal. They scored a goal if if Richarlison, instead of trying to score from an impossible angle, just cuts one back to the center spot, uh, like eight yards out. It's a tap-in Wait, goal. But I he doesn't do those things. No, he he's
1: he's in his head a little bit. And by the way, he tripped. He, he goes around the keeper and he trips and he still tries to get the shot off, which is just like... That's so frustrating, but um, yeah, I thought Everton. I thought Everton were looked really good, and considering how long have they had to train with those two new players in in in, in the team, a, a week, week. Yeah. a week, if that, unbelievable.
0: I saw Jermaine Genus talking about this game on BBC. Uh, he said about Tottenham. I'm sure Jose had a plan. But for whatever reason, his players were not able to execute it. There was no cohesion and no idea about what to do to get back into the game from 1-0 down. They looked lost, low on confidence, and miles off anything that was even close to good. Um, That's damning. It is damning. And kind of like what I said about Tottenham in our preview shows, uh, it's sort of like you could take that paragraph and cut and paste it to any number of their losses last season like i said when it when it goes bad for them it looks awful and they don't they do not maintain possession they do not generate chances really their only great chance in this game was uh doherty from like three yards out and it was a great save by pick it was a lovely move right um but other than that it was they went one nil down and, and i can't even really think of anything serious that they did after that
1: I've got a bit of audio I want you to react to, and again, I'm not. I'm not. This is not a segue into me because it's the first game of the season, so I'm not going to segue into all the usual stuff that me and you go on with, about with Mourinho. But I, I'm just curious as as to your thoughts. From this is from Sky Sports directly after the game.
0: So it was building through
1: midfield and just keeping the ball really a struggle today. Did you think? Uh, to be honest, I think the struggle was uh, a starts the struggle starts in the way we press or i would say in the way we didn't press because our pressure up was very very poor i would say it was a lazy pressure and when you have a lazy pressure you don't press you let opponents to build from the back and then they have players with incredible quality which is not just everton is almost everybody in the in the premier league for not to say everybody and when you you let them play from from the back then they are comfortable to have the ball he rambles on there for a little bit, but So what you're honing in on is his
0: use of the word lazy.
1: Yeah, because Jonathan Cross had a a piece in the mirror. Now he had no he didn't really have any direct quotes and, and it's probably an easy thing to write. Apparently Ben Davis had had made a few comments saying um you know, it wasn't for lack of trying and and you know, he didn't address Mourinho's comments directly, but apparently this has caused some some problem in, in, in the dressing room already. I I just think there's a million words you can use. Why why are you t- saying
0: lazy? Yeah. I don't have a, a huge reaction to that. I'm generally okay with it. He's like, are we still <laughs> gonna be surprised by Mourinho saying these things in press conferences? Like this is now almost 20 years of of him. This is how he operates. This is o- how he motivates. So d- you know the opening opening game of the season saying that. He he clearly like he clearly wanted them to be pressing. They Lazy. were they didn't do it. And no. he viewed it as as laziness. And if that's how he saw it, we know he's gonna say what what's on his mind in these press conferences. I don't know. It's to me that's not a doesn't phase me all that much. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I know you were looking what do you want me to throw this microphone and smash my computer? Nope. Nope. No, no, no. I I've said I, I would
1: put it to you. It's been put to you, and you've you've dealt with it and uh, and that's it. On we go. Um
0: by the way I mentioned before about the um signings that impressed, there was one that I wanted to mention um and it was one that we kind of we kind of downplayed after it happened and um I'll go with Willian and his start with Arsenal and I'll go with them for a couple reasons. First off, I mean he played a role in all three goals, had two assists, uh, and his shot led directly to Lacazette's goal for the opener. So uh, he also hit the post on a free kick. I mean he was really good in this game. Um And like, it's important to remember too, if he came to them on a free, so, you know, we don't necessarily know at his age, like a couple of years from now, what he'll be, but he's coming off a a pretty good season at Chelsea and who's to say he doesn't have at least one more of those in him. And so for free for Arsenal uh, and an opening game like that, I think it could, maybe we were a little bit quick to judge and kind of like roll our eyes at that move.
1: I think the the big news now that's just actually broken in the last half hour is uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang has signed a three year contract at Arsenal. Uh, he who played so well since he signed, really, he's been unbelievable, yeah. and they've got him locked up for for three years. And um, and at his current rate and with the way he's playing, I, I actually think that's pretty good, a pretty good move for them.
0: Could be the the beginning of a, a new era of good feelings.
1: Oh, it could be. Before we move on, Andrew, I just wanted to mention uh, from the weekend the the goals, respective goals by Zaha, um, uh, Wilfried Zaha for Crystal Palace. I, I thought he took his that that opening goal was just brilliant, I, and um, the way he finished it. And a similar, a little bit further out, probably a higher degree of difficulty. But uh, Jimenez' goal for yes. for Wolves was so sweet. It was
0: my favorite goal of the weekend.
1: Oh, so how good did Wolves look?
0: Wolves looked really good. And um, the the Jimenez goal, I enjoy so much when like a player doesn't, how's the, how's the right way to put this? He doesn't like overwork. He kind of lets the ball, the pace of the ball, do the work for him. I mean, there was basically like, no, he's got his leg up and that's kind of it. And he just like allows the ball to volley off of his leg. And, little, and little the pace on it is a punch. Yeah. I, I loved that goal. That was a super goal. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, fun weekend. Uh, we'll get a little bit. We're not done with Premier League discussion because there's a lot of questions in the mailbag about it. So we'll get back to it um, in just a few minutes. When we come back, we have some MLS to discuss, JJ. Um, it was a very interesting weekend in the league, an important one for uh, one of the Los Angeles clubs in particular. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now. Caught offside. side. Mailbag in just a few minutes here, but first, JJ, let's bring it back across the Atlantic Ocean as we traverse the uh, choppy waters, make our way stateside. You just paint <laughs> pictures, don't you? And now we're getting off at the dock, oh, collecting good. our luggage. And here, <laughs> all right, um, let's, uh, <laughs> there... <laughs> a few um, a few things in particular I wanted to mention from MLS um, this past weekend. I want to talk about LAFC just for a sec. I don't have a ton on them, but um, like quietly this season was really it was going it was going horribly for them um coming off back to back three 0 defeats um and then they went down in this one over the weekend against portland and you know just i don't know you're like you're in that state mentally you're now losing to a a good side and credit to them they didn't let it affect them they scored just about 10 minutes or so later got back in it and wound up winning this one Uh, somewhat – well, not going away. They scored late to kind of put the cherry on top, but a nice uh, 4-2 win. They continue to score goals. I guess the question just remains whether or not, like we've said all season, they're going to be able to defend. um, That right side of the defense for them has been a question. Um, So, like, I – every part of me still believes that LAFC are going to be just fine. And it's maybe this is just one of those situations we talk about with MLS clubs of the whole just, just get in theory, get oh, Vela sure. back healthy, reacclimate him. Cause like, by the way, since Vela has been gone, Diego Rossi is a legitimate star. Now we said that at the end of the MLS is back tournament, uh, but he's continued that. Uh, so there may be a reacclimation period with Vela. Um, but like there's, it's been, it hasn't been as easy as maybe they thought uh, coming into the season. I, I
1: think their propensity for giving up goals is really going to be a problem when it comes to when it comes to the playoffs. Uh, I think right now they can they can survive and and they're they're doing just fine, really.
0: Um, by the way, their crosstown rivals, who we were so down on uh, in the Galaxy, have actually been pretty good, and Carlos Pavone in particular.
1: Um, Christian Pavone.
0: Oh yeah, I'm sorry, Christian Pavone. Who like, yep. we kind of were like, when is this guy going to turn into the player that? Uh, that we thought he was going to be. And maybe we're starting to see it. I mean, they have enough
1: offensive talent in the, in the side to be good. And and like on his day, you saw flashes last season of how good he can be. Now, albeit he was linking up with Zlatan Ibrahimović, but I mean, for him to explode, shouldn't be a a surprise to anyone.
0: Yeah. Um, Another team I had been high on Columbus crew. Um, Maybe this is a weird day to bring it up because a two, two draw against Chicago. Isn't like (laughs) necessarily something to write home about, but they were down 2 nil uh no nagby or zelerion in the comeback they scored those two goals to get back and to get that point back and it's kind of uh, it's kind of one of those games where like the great teams find a way um down two nil like they just to them it's not over and and they found a way to wriggle a point out of it
1: i think what's 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 really good for them is that that was their first I can't believe this. I, mean, I need to check this stat. But from what I've read, that was their first multiple goal concession in in, in MLS in this season, which is 11 Correct. games.
0: They've only given up four goals total.
1: That I mean, that's tremendous. That's the sign of a good side straight away. And yeah. um, as I was reading uh, Steve Zakuani of, of MLSsoccer.com. And I mean, it, this is a strong statement coming out of a 2-2 draw. But at the same time, top to bottom, he says, they're the strongest team in the league.
0: Is that a strong statement? I, when when they've
1: got everyone out, they've probably got the best spine of any team in the league. So maybe yeah, it's not. I think maybe it's, it's not.
0: The only reason it's a strong statement is because maybe you still think it's early. But like, if we're going to be analyzing teams, then I think at this point in the season, it's fair to say. Yeah. So I'm, to, I'm good with that. Uh, one of the teams that they're in competition with for most complete or best teams, uh, the Union. And, and it's another young player, Anthony Fontana, 20-year-old comes in, scores two goals, including a brilliant one to win it over New England. What a goal. Um, you know, Columbus, Philadelphia, uh, you know, these are teams that played well in that tournament setting. But, you know, as good as they played, maybe there was a side of people still wondering, well, this was like weird and bizarre. You know, once we get back to the relative normalcy of, of a season format, is it going to be the same kind of thing? Um, and it, so far it has been. I mean, Columbus and Philadelphia have looked like maybe the two best teams in the league. So we'll see if they can keep it going. Um, they're showing that it was not a fluke, what we saw down no, in Orlando.
1: Philadelphia are legit. And and I know you're a worrier over your teams, but you should just accept that fact.
0: Yeah, I'm not. Right now, I'm really not. They've they've been a joy. They really have. Um, and then finally, we go to the kind of the opposite end here, at least finally for me. And um, boy, still waiting on that new manager bounce in Atlanta. But Andrew, can you get an interim manager bounce? Because <laughs> Stephen
1: Glass really isn't, I mean... I don't think anyone's expecting that this will be the manager going forward. I mean, didn't
0: didn't Everton kind of get one from Duncan Ferguson?
1: <laughs> that's true. That's true. I don't think Stephen Glass is the same. Um, how shall we put it? Gravitas as Big Dunk did on the sideline at Goodison. Uh, one thing I, I really have only one thing to say: if they're going to continue to defend like they did in Nashville, they can just forget about the season. The second goal, Andrew, the um, uh, Hani Mukhtar's goal was app. Absolutely disgusting. As a connoisseur of good defending, I wanted to vomit. It was from an Atlanta throw-in in In the fullback position. They lose the header off the throw-in and the seas parted. The gap between the centre-backs was just... You could have driven a tank through it. And that's exactly what Nashville did to score. I mean, they
0: are going to continue. I don't care about who But then like the only thing worse than defending on the second goal might have been their defending on the third when like Dax McCarty is allowed to run into space in the middle of the box with yeah. six defenders, just kind of all staring blankly. And he, any, he, it's like the easiest headed goal he'll ever score.
1: Yeah. This, but the, but they were allowing runners from deep all night. And they were, I mean, they were, it was like a, a Maitre D service. There you go, sir. Break this way. way, sir.
0: <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. No, it's ugly. It's ugly right now. Yeah. There is um, no new manager bounce coming. No, they but, need, they, they need a new player bounce. By the way. well, One day, Joseph Martinez will be back. Just don't know. Does he play center back? Um, No, but him being on the field uh, is is a threat. Yes, yes. yes. Um, By the way, something from this game that was interesting to me. So Nashville, Dax McCarty talked about this afterwards. I wonder if you saw this. Um, He explained, Dax explained partly what motivated Nashville in this game. Um, The love of good music? Well, maybe, but also the comments of uh, Atlanta's Miles Robinson, who said beforehand i think the group as a whole knows we have better players than them nashville Uh and i think we just have to go out there and prove it oh no oh and and dax made it quite clear after this match that the nashville nashville players were all keenly aware of that comment dax said after uh, he said i have to say a little bit of unsolicited old man advice for miles robinson uh, McCarty continued. I think he's got tremendous talent. I think the future for him is extremely bright. But when your team is going through a tough time, their team is not in a good place right now, and their team is struggling. So for me, if I can give Miles a little bit of advice, I would say to him, talent is only so valuable, and it's only only going to take you so far, especially in this game, especially in soccer, because there's so much more to the game than talent. Uh, well, Dax was, uh, at least on this day, proven correct. Because Atlanta, they do have talent. I mean like Miles Robinson, he's not entirely wrong. Uh, even without Joseph Martinez, there are still players on that side where they should, there's no excuse for what's going on there right now. They should be better. I wonder if, if you are g- you can't say that.
1: If you're a guy, um, like Barco, who's got a lot of his best years ahead of him. Is he, is he thinking I want to get out of here? You know?
0: I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, it's almost, it almost feels like unfair to fully judge when they're missing Martinez, but like injuries happen, you know, so they can't, yeah, they but, can't lean on that.
1: Yeah. But LAFC are, are, are missing v- Vela right now. And look at them. They're
0: kicking. They're well, sort
1: of, like I said, they're coming off. They're not
0: ugly they're not perfect,
1: but they're still better than that.
0: Yes. Yes. They'd All be right. in the playoffs. I believe still, if, uh, if the season ended today, uh, not uh, Atlanta, it's, it's ugly right now, man. Um, let's see a couple other things. I don't know. Um, if you want to go into this over in, uh, in league, uh, uh, kind of a, well, well, it's a he said, she said kind of thing. Yeah, Neymar um, and Alvaro Gonzalez. Um, yes. Controversy between whether or not Alvaro Gonzalez may have made some racist remarks to Neymar. Neymar was quite, quite clear about it. And you could yeah. see in the moment he was furious, too. Yes. Um. Uh, um now, no, it, it has been
1: denied. And, and uh, Olympic Marseille, in their statement, did not directly address uh, that racist comments were made. There's an investigation going on by, by French football into what happened, which was a crazy end to the game, included five red cards. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know where else we can go with this one, Andrew. We, we await the, the investigation, but um, Neymar was clearly incensed by something. Yeah. Um, um, so. so
0: we'll wait and see uh, what the investigation yields on that. Uh, and then, JJ, uh, we were going to talk a little bit about the continuing exodus of female talent. Yes. From, from NWSL. Now
1: um, Meg Linehan is right. And she is the, she is the absolute um, authority on um, all matters NWSL. I love reading her stuff on the athletic. Um, She says not to call it an exodus yet. Don't panic is what's coming from Merritt Paulson. And and actually, Meg lays out pretty clearly. So so basically, we've seen Sam Mewis, Rose Lavelle go to Manchester City. Tobin Heath and Kristen Press are in uh, Manchester 2 with the red half. And Alex Morgan has gone to Tottenham Hotspur. So, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's not all the huge, names. But
0: these are huge names.
1: These are huge names. And, and what does this mean for NWSL? And look, I, I will admit, on the podcast two weeks ago, I said they weren't having a fall season. But apparently that's not the case. They're having a, a fall series, which will comprise of four games, and um, Meg kind of lays it out in in a way that that makes. Makes a lot of sense if, if you think about the situation the country finds itself in right now. Player movement and the state of the league as a whole simply can't be divorced from the context of COVID-19 in the United States. For players, there is cert- there is currently the choice between playing four games in the NWSL Fall Series or going to a safer training environment with both meaningful and more games in Europe. That choice seems easy enough. The FA WSL has begun a schedule that lasts much longer than four games per team, but they also had the benefit of tangible plan that reaches May of next year at a time when players were waiting for the NWSL to make decisions about what will come after the Challenge Cup. Players value knowing what comes next, especially for those looking to make an Olympic roster. Right now in America, certainty is scarce on many fronts and professional soccer is no exception. That's pretty much it for me. They are going with what can be guaranteed? I mean, four four games for players who are some of them are in their about to hit in their early thir- late twenties, early thirties, playing four games in a. I won't say meaningless, but you know, in a fall competition that NWSL are doing with no guarantees of what's happened to go- going to happen again in the spring, is not good preparation for a major tournament, and they've made a decision as such.
0: Yeah. Um- but it's interesting, though, to say, OK, don't refer to this as an exodus yet. And don't be if you're NWSL, don't panic about this. Right. yet. Um, but so so what are we supposed to gather from that, that when NWSL figures out what their future is going to look like, these players will come back? Well, I mean, that's a gamble. I think that's, I think that's a dangerous
1: assumption. I mean, they still have the, their salaries by U.S. soccer for their national team play will be guaranteed. So they don't have to worry about that front. There's no rush home. When we're going to get out of this thing over here to the point where it's, they're going to have a schedule, I don't know. They don't know. It's too much uncertainty, Andrew. And and I would suggest there's no guarantee they come back.
0: Uh, let's see now. Let's uh, let's close this baby out with a mailbag. All you?
1: right, let's do a mail busy. Caught offside pod at gmail.com on the email at co pod on Twitter. Caught offside ESPN on Instagram. Please follow us there, guys. Get on there. We are bad at social media, but you, you shall make us better. And thanks to everyone who sent in their help fan for the 2021 season. It's now closed and I will be getting the rest of your help of fans by, uh, should be maybe tomorrow. They should be all done, I guess. So there we go. Uh, Andrew, of course, helping out massively on help fan this year.
0: Uh, I don't know what to say in a um, like this. It's very awkward.
1: You've done no work. Tim on Instagram gets the ball rolling for the new season, Andrew, in a new mailbag era. Tim, how does Everton have the funds to go sign three quality players, Decore, Allen, and Jimmy Rodriguez? And Spurs say they have no money to make any signings outside of Darty and Hoiberg. Those those two combined were about as much as Allen. Deloitte Football Money League has Spurs bringing in over 300 million pounds of revenue, uh, more than Everton have in 1819, 521 to 213. Everton is also in the midst of moving to and paying for a new stadium without any European football income. What is the difference between these two clubs to allow Everton to make proper signings like this? Love the pod. You guys are awesome. So this is a bit complex. I'm not a football accountant, but I will give you my impression. The first thing to say is that revenue does not equal money available immediately for transfer fees. Uh, Tottenham may generate more revenue, but then they have just spent a billion on a brand new stadium. Uh, Swiss Ramble on Twitter, always the guy to go to for football financials, has a really great thread on on clubs, uh, Premier League clubs, external financing, i.e. money from outside the streams of the gate, TV money, sponsorship. So it's basically external revenue would be bank loans and loans from their owners. Um, Swiss Ramble Tottenham took on 618 million pounds sterling external debt in the last five years to finance the construction of the new stadium loans, refinanced in September, 2019 into long term maturities, average of 23 years at 2.66% repaid. They repaid 40 million preference shares and borrowed 175 million at 0.5% from the government's COVID facility. Um, On the stadium, Everton have not turned the sod on Bramley Moor Dock Stadium site yet. They aren't really in the midst of a move as their planning permission has been challenged by some historical societies who want to protect the Victorian age dock and are worried about stadium development. So it's nowhere close to what Tottenham have ploughed into their completed stadium. And stadium aside, Everton's owners have put significant funds in over the past few years. Here's Swiss Ramble again. Um, Owner Farad Mushri uh, provided 300 million interest-free loans Plus another 50 million after the accounts, which enabled the club to repay external debt, reducing interest payments. He also paid 25, 24 million sponsorship for training complex and a 30 million for an option to buy naming rights for a new stadium. Uh, Finally, everything got Alan James and Decore for about 50 million. That's really good business. And remember, clubs don't pay, pay the full whack in one go; it's paid out over years. Tottenham under Mourinho, you know, he hasn't been there a full season. Have spent. It's just not Doherty and Hoyberg. They brought in Lo Celso and Bergwine in uh, January, was it, Andrew?
0: Well, they made Lacelso's Lo loan move permanent,
1: right? In so yeah. I, I think what Tim is asking is that why didn't my club get more sexy signings? And in the light, light of w- and in the light so
0: of what Everton have
1: done, I guess that's irritating.
0: So you covered you. I mean, you really covered the financials there. The only thing that I would say in addition to that is, uh, what's today's date? It's the uh, 15th of September. Okay, so the transfer window is still wide open until October 5th. Right. So Tottenham are not done. Now, that's not me making a prediction that there's a lot more to come. We know how they operate. Um, This is a club that is not trying to base their success off of what they do in transfer windows. However, it's only September 15th. Like I would say that there's probably more business to be done for them. Um, Just today, you're seeing rumors about tottenham now moving ahead of manchester united in the race to get gareth bale whether or not that's all posturing which i imagine it is to try and drag more out of manchester united um who have much more buying power uh, and financial might than what tottenham have Mm. um so that that could very well be however i would just say uh it's not the window's not closed yet and there could still be uh, time for moves to be made. Tottenham like to to wait until the final minute as I'm sure uh whoever who was the guy who sent that note in uh know yeah if Tim's a fan of Spurs which it sounds like he is, he knows how they operate. So uh send this message on October 6 and then maybe we'll have a different conversation.
1: All right. Uh, at Swiss Ramble for the football financials query goes in depth. It's it's really great stuff. Uh Lucas Pleen, uh first week knee-jerk reaction is alan could be the unsung hero of this Everton team this year. So he's projecting unsung hero status. Who were some other unsung heroes you can think of in the past 20 years? So I have a few here. Um, I always think of Dennis Irwin at Manchester United, who had just this incredible career, um, but never really was talked about, except by Eric Cantona, who who said he was one of the best players at United. Um, Gilberto Silva on Arsenal's Invincibles kind of flew under the radar. John O'Shea, again, at Manchester United. And uh, in a way, Andrew, DeMarcus Beasley, I've always thought of him as an unsung hero, uh, and he was doing things in the Champions League and in European football and for the U.S. men's national team and really didn't get the credit at a time, I guess,
0: when soccer didn't have the same coverage here. Wow. Um, Let's see. All right. I wasn't thinking about U.S. men, or or I was just sticking with the Premier League, but now I'm trying to think of – I guess if we were doing a U.S. – soccer, uh, unsung heroes. I always felt that, um, Steve Chirondolo is one of the greatest American players of oh all time God. that have never talked about. You can't uh, even get in the hall of fame. He would be one that, that would immediately come to mind for me in terms of the ones I wrote down here for the premier league. Um, a little bit recent, but I've always felt that Fernandinho was an unsung hero in Manchester city success. You know, Aguero, uh, Yaya Torre back before that, um, you know, the, those are the guys that oftentimes, you know, Raheem Sterling now, those guys get more of the accolades. And Fernandinho, I just wonder, like, would all of it have worked as well as it did had it not been for him in defensive midfield? And I would even say to a certain extent, David Silva uh, as a bit of an unsung hero on those Manchester City teams. Um, with Tottenham, you know my my feelings on Moussa Dembele. I don't know that Spurs would have achieved any of the league success that they did without him. Uh, Michael Carrick at Manchester United, although I don't know how unsung he is because Alex Ferguson heaps praise upon him every chance yeah. that he gets. Uh, Michael Essien with those great Chelsea teams is a player that I always thought didn't get quite the accolades that some of the other players did, but I thought he was brilliant. Hmm. Um and and i wonder too if history will look back on your liverpool side as having a bunch of them like fabinho um you know you were talking about winaldum before and like the fans who were ready to say goodbye to him but yeah. like i think he was brilliant yeah. for what liverpool did and jordan henderson would have qualified for this but his heroism is no longer unsung
1: oh the the singing has been annoying you for so long <laughs> It's like a really terrible Guster album. Um, oh,
0: stop. Why make it personal?
1: Uh, Easton, uh, thoughts on Jack Grealish re-signing until 2025. So a uh, uh, new contract for for Jack Grealish. Uh, well, it's,
0: obvi- it's obviously huge. It's massive for them for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it, like obviously, it, if he stays with the club, great. Like Aston Villa are going to have a great player on their side for the foreseeable future. And if he wants to go, it, this now means that they can't be held hostage. By him or you know, a club they're gonna have to they're gonna have to demand a yeah. big number and they'll have every right to do it.
1: Yeah, I I I mean it's big. I I honestly thought though the number of places uh, he could go, considering all the financials and and you know and the options were were dwindling and and Aston Villa wanted a lot of money for him, a lot more than clubs were willing to pay. And I think um, this makes most uh, this makes most sense and it's a boost to Villa going into this uh, this new season. Um, Connor Rickard has an observation on Harry Kane's pre-match speeches from All or Nothing. I know he's a leader by example and is the captain, but could they have others speak before the game? I guess it's easy to poke holes, but it seems to be some nervous talking, a few F-bombs, and let's go boys every time. Connor, the speech prior to going out onto the field
0: in most team sports is never that inspiring. Um, yeah, but, but, but. I see a little bit of what Connor is talking about. Okay. Like, I don't think, I don't think he's necessarily off base All right. in this. Now I can't tell if he's saying this, like if he's like trying to make fun of him or if he's actually being, if he's actually being serious about it, no, it's a serious people. question. Uh, but I, I actually think it's an interesting observation and it's something I've thought about when I'm watching it too. Um, because like, I don't know that Harry Kane is, is necessarily a natural born leader. Some people just are. Uh, And that's not necessarily a knock against him, um, but like because of his play and his stature in the game and certainly his stature within the club, I I really think and I I admire it in him. I think that he believes it's not just enough for me to be a great player for this team. I have to be a leader also. And I think, you know, it it may not necessarily be something that he's had to do his life during his life as a player. And I think maybe he's kind of learning on the fly. Because I, I I could see that a little bit too that maybe some of the his pregame speeches are a little bit yeah you know, I don't know if awkward's the right word but I think he's I think he's like feeling it out and learning what kind of leader he's going to be
1: yeah and I, look he's not a great orator anyway we know that much um, but I think I I do think it's overplayed the speech going onto the field a little bit I really do because I mean I've.
0: <laughs> You are right. Like not, not every pregame speech is Newt Rockney.
1: Yeah. Not, not every, not every pregame speech is going to be Al Pacino in any given Sunday. (laughs) We crawl with our fingernails for that inch. Right. Like, yeah, that's a, it's a movie. Yeah. (laughs) Like this is, this is real life. And by the way, have when Mourinho speaks by there's, there's that one point in, in episode three where Mourinho goes to Harry Kane, he goes, you speak or I speak, you know? Right, Right. And, and, and like, Mourinho's speeches are hardly that inspiring. Yeah. Like, I mean, he talks a lot about, about pooping yourself and, and, and and talks a lot about cojones, you know? I mean, there, there's nothing really outstanding here. There wasn't really very much outstanding from Pep. The best speeches that came were probably Fabian Delph, the basics of football, you know,
0: that 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 wasn't really a speech. That wasn't like a pregame speech. That was like a, after a game,
1: area grievances session. That's true. That is true. Um, Chris Allen, world-class players. Andrew and JJ, how do you define world-class when talking about players? And how many players in each position would you currently classify as world-class? I was thinking about this when looking at ESPN's top 10 in each position from November 2019 and realizing I wouldn't classify some of them as world-class even though they're in the top 10. I assume Dejan Lovren will make her cut given that I doubt anyone else has been to a world European English and Russian Super Cup champion at the same time. Thanks for the entertainment. Um, Total
0: cop out answer. I'll go first and just say it's subjective. Uh, I just chart it up to, you know, it when you see it, that's all I can say about it.
1: Yeah. I, I, world class is this term that's bandied around a lot. Um, I mean, to have reached the level that some of these players have reached in in terms of their career makes them an elite group, a small percentage of people in the world. And by that definition, they're world class. But when I think of world class, we're talking about this higher echelon, like the very highest echelon is your Messi and Ronaldo's. And then there's probably a strata just below that of just superb players who are, you know, out of this world. Like who's the world class player on Denmark right now? Christian Eriksson. He's the one guy that could walk into most teams. Um, and, and and I guess you're right. You can see it when you know it. Like Fr- France has a wonderful, wonderful collection of players, but you would say the elite level player, the world-class player on that team might be Kylian Mbappe, but other people see it other ways. Like other people would say, no, they're full of world-class players. Like it's right. a much broader, it's a much broader school for other people. It's it, to be honest, guys, it's a, it comes from a bygone era, not a bygone era, actually a pretty
0: current era of football talk where we just use these terms without ever really thinking about them. So I would like to assign Chris who sent that email in. I would like to assign him a homework assignment. Okay. I would like him to submit a list of players. Doesn't have to be many, five uh, on our next podcast or whenever he feels like it. And you and I will go back and forth and say world-class or not world-class. Right. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I would like Chris to, to take that upon uh, himself.
1: All right. That could be fun. Um, let's move on quickly. Stay gold, Peroni boy. Okay. Uh, why did I read that out? That could mean that could be a code word for something. What an idiot I am. I'm such a boob. Um, Serie, A's, or, uh, Serie A is around the corner. Who wins the league this year? Um, I am still thinking it's going to be Juventus. Uh Inter Milan have made an interesting signing in Hakimi. Um
0: but I um I'm I, I do you view this remember so we had Guy Mowbray on last week, and remember he was talking when we were talking about predictions with him, uh he was like, Here's my prediction Bayern Munich, they're gonna win the league. Right. And like I, I feel like Juventus have kind of been that to Italy. Um, but I don't necessarily know if it's as quite an open and shut case for Juve as it is for Bayern. Like, I think you can make a case for, um, like you say, for Inter. I'm, I mean, like they've got Arturo Vidal in, um,
1: and that's just not really floating my boat. But it's like, you know, Hakimi was such a really good signing, but Kante um, wanted more experience, so he goes and ends up with Vidal. But I, I just look at the squad, and I think they're going to be the same as last season. Um, Juventus is, Juventus have, you know, upgraded in midfield with McKinney. And I, you know, obviously the big question mark is over Pirlo. It's not really on the field. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and something that's really uh, spooked me is Lazio have been given no chance by 538. Lazio are way, way down. Um, here's, here's 538's rankings right now. They have Inter Milan to win the league. You've, uh, this is their SBI, um, at 84.3%. Um, Juventus, 82.4. Atalanta in third again, holding, 79.1. AC Milan, 78.8. And then Napoli, 79.0. Roma, newly acquired Roma, 74.5. And Lazio all the way down at 71.5. Look, I don't know. I, I, I feel like the safe bet is to go with Juventus again. Yeah. Um, exos- uh, my, One of my favorite Twitter handles, and th- this guy's a funny guy. Uh, existentialist Mets fan. Congrats on you finally being removed from your Wilpon nightmare. (laughs) Congrats. Um, I wondered about um, how you guys try to pick EPL teams and help a fan when fans want clubs that reflect their US sports teams. I.e., do you have two similar ideas of what clubs are like the Mets, the Giants, the Phillies? Sometimes what I do is when I look at the team and I does the team reflect the grit of one of their most famous teams? So like a defensively sound. Chelsea team under Mourinho, I would have picked someone who's from Chicago and likes the Bears. You know, I'll go with the '86 Bears. I'll make, I'll kind of make connections like that. Uh, for yeah, example, his,
0: historic perception yeah. of a team for me is a, is a huge factor.
1: All, all that stuff goes into it. Um, so you know, um, like if, if Newcastle, for example, uh, I gave someone who was an Atlanta Braves fan, I gave them Newcastle because I remember the Braves had great teams in the nineties and one of their famous teams, didn't they have 106 wins and they didn't win the world
0: series? Yeah. They routinely, they were like the best team in baseball and didn't win the world series.
1: Right. And Newcastle had like three years of that in the mid nineties. So, you know, I'll, I'll I'll make, I'll make connections like that. That's kind of the way I do it. Finally, Andrew, finally. And this is from everyone, America over. What's your thoughts on Peacock?
0: Kind of frustrated. I guess I feel suckered like, because clearly this is, this is going to be different than the NBC gold experience, which was, you know, like, okay. Villa is playing like Newcastle. We're going to put that on gold. Uh, Peacock. Uh, -uh. I mean, Tottenham Everton week one, um, isn't Liverpool, Chelsea. Yes. Liverpool, Liverpool, Arsenal also like, Basically, they're saying if you want to follow this league the way that that a normal like a casual fan would, you have to have this. So it's a little bit. Uh, I'm, I feel I'm, like I had no choice. Like, I, like you're almost kind of held up, and yet you, you have to do it.
1: So me and you have a, a caught off site account with them.
0: Basically, should we Isn't be there part of you that just wants to like reveal it so everyone can use it oh my god yeah, like, i'm sure at some but point the problem is we'll, we'll get we'll get kicked off or something
1: oh yeah i'm sure sh- i'm sure at some point the ip just right so many multiple IPs. But there's, come oh,
0: there's such a part of me that wants to do that
1: they've also it, it's also very cynical like remember gold when you logged into gold you had stats the teams on the right hand side you had this whole dashboard of information and you could rewind to the highlights. So you could click at the bottom and you it, like say Chelsea had scored in the 15th minute and you joined in the 42nd, I could hit Pulisic goal and it'd take me back to that. And yeah, and the dashboard they have now is just like, Oh my God, it's for whatever show the young and the restless or something. Yeah. It's the same. I wonder
0: too, uh, in terms of its availability, I was able to get it on Apple TV, but like I tried not on Roku. It's not. And no, and like my Sam, I have a Samsung smart TV. Um, but like I couldn't do like you can sometimes do screen mirroring from your phone like whatever's on your phone yeah you know mirror it with your TV I couldn't it seems like they almost have like a block on it I wonder if anybody else had that experience I don't know it, this is unfortunate like I hate this I I've said it before I hate that this is the reality of this of, and, and, of and this by the way now. and by the way they'll say oh but you're getting so much for your 599
1: or whatever it is what am i getting i don't want anything else off nbc i just want to watch the football let me watch the football and that's why espn plus is by far and away the best streaming platform
0: um by the way before we get out i have one quick one as well um so i this was sent to me i don't know if you, if you saw this i got this after our epl preview where i kind of made mention that christian pulisic may already be chelsea's best player it is uh yep okay there you go. And and so this was, I got this from at seven futsal one. He writes at a gunling. Pulisic was not our best player last season, arguably of the restart, but so was William and Gerudo. Uh, overall the season, it was Kovacic. Uh, you were obviously biased because of his nationality. I know you want him to do well, but he only played well for eight games. Plus he had a hat trick. How Uh, many times was he injured? You fool. A a couple things I would say to that saying that he only played well for eight games is utter nonsense. That's just, that's just not true. Um, and then another thing on that Pulisic. Only, so let's just look at it real quick. Pulisic started only 19 games last season and appeared in just 25 total. And he was directly involved in a total of 13 goals, nine goals, four assists. The only players with more direct goal involvements than that were Tammy Abraham, who had 15 goals and three assists, but that was in 25 starts, 34 appearances total, way more than Pulisic and William, who had nine goals and seven assists across again, 29 starts and 36 appearances, way more than Pulisic and four of William's goals were penalties zero of Pulisic's were penalties. So like, and then I got this from at bleed blue crew 22, who brought this to my attention, a comment from Gary Neville of Gary Neville saying Pulisic to me is the next world star in the premier league. I watched him three or four times in the games after the lockdown and it was a different level. So I guess Gary Neville an Englishman is hugely biased as well. Like, I guess what I'm saying is you can disagree, but then to go right to you're obviously biased because of his nationality, like, Like that to me suggests that you have your own biases that you're operating off of because like again disagreement is fine like willian you can make a shout for kovacic won their player of the season award but like it's not crazy to say it's pulisic so it's just like also what what games
1: has he been watching every time pulisic was involved for chelsea particularly after that burnley hat trick I mean, he gave them such a different dimension. He was their best attacking player by a country mile. A country mile. Now, if you want to tell me he's not their best defensive player, he's not, fine, do it. But I, I, I Chelsea don't have the season they had last season, which, by the way, was mediocre in terms of the rest of their their time in the Premier League. Uh, I, these are stupid arguments. They're annoying. And especially when, when it gets thrown at you because you're American. All right, okay, because I'm American. Fine. That negates everything. Every stat everything that he's done. That's it.
0: Yeah. It's uh, look, I guess it'll play out and we'll see who's right and who's wrong. I believe in this guy and I think that he's, he's the real deal. And I, I'm not alone in in thinking that
1: injuries are the only thing that are going to stop him. That's it. Nothing else. Uh,
0: Yep. So there you go. Oh man, this was fun. The league is back. It feels like it only just left, but it is back. And we are talking about it once again, which is, which is fun. It's always, this is always one of the highlights of my week, my friend. Guys, follow
1: us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, and I I need feedback about the full kit tracksuit guy. We need to talk. (laughs) Hey, this was fun to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, man.